Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There was a man plagued with problems. His worries were so many that he had a horrible case of insomnia. He couldn't get to sleep at night. One night, he tried to count sheep. He heard that counting sheep would put you to sleep. The problem, though, is that his plan backfired. Listen to this poor fellow's account of what happened to him. He says, Last night I started counting sheep while lying in my bed. I have so many worries I thought I'd clear my head. The sheep were in a pasture full of grass and pretty flowers, but the sky was dark, clouds overhead. I worried there'd be showers. The sheep I counted one by one, they all seemed fat and strong, but what of their real condition? What if I were wrong? Where did these sheep get water? I saw no streams around, and on some of their faces I thought I saw a frown. What of the care they'd gotten? Where was their shepherd anyway? How did these sheep get in my mind? Perhaps he'd gone away. The sheep had many little lambs. What would happen to the young? Oh, if I could find that shepherd, I think he should be hung. All night long I worried about this deserted flock of sheep and about that sorry shepherd who didn't give a bleep. I had started counting sheep to help my mind unwind, but now my worries started up again, just of a different kind. I was really fretting by the rising of the sun. The sheep would be without me until my day was done. What would they do all by themselves? How could they possibly survive? I had to leave them helpless while I worked my eight to five. I thought I'd take them with me, but they're better left behind. At work, I have many other worries floating through my mind. <laughs> wow, talk about a chronic worrier. Talk about a worry wart. Let me ask you, though. Are you a chronic worrier? Do you ever worry about a snake coming up through the toilet? Do you ever fear that a burglar is hiding under your bed? Do you worry that the gas gauge has suddenly malfunctioned overnight? And you really do need gas in your car? 
Do you ever worry that one day they're going to turn off your utilities because there was a bill that you forgot to pay? At this moment, some of you are sitting here worried that your wife left the iron on and your house is on fire. Some of you are worrying that you're pregnant. Some of you are worrying that you're not pregnant. Some of you are worried that you have an incurable disease or that your days with the company are numbered or that your child is going to flunk out of school. Some of you are worried about buying a house. Others about paying the rent. We all have different worries, but we all worry about something, don't we? Worry is a robber. It robs us of the joys of life. It tarnishes what could have been, what should have been, golden moments. Even while playing with your kids out in the yard, or out on a night with your spouse, or in the midst of a party, or even while listening to a Sunday morning sermon. The moment should be fun. It should be meaningful. Instead, the worry assassin is firing bullets at you. Worry keeps forcing its way into your consciousness. It kicks down doors. It barges into our brains. Worry wants to steal our enjoyment of God's blessings. The Greek word translated here, worry, is merimneo, a combination of two words, merizo, which means to divide, and nuos, which means the mind. Thus, to worry is to divide the mind, to distract and to disrupt our concentration. And that is exactly what worry does. It distracts us from our priorities. It divides our attention. It clouds our vision. It splits our focus. Worry creates a thick fog over our soul. You know, according to the U.S. Bureau of Statistics, it takes less than a single glass of water to create a fog that will cover seven city blocks 100 feet deep. A mere gallon of water can effectively shut down an entire city. And likewise, all it takes is just a little bit of worry, a few meager drops of anxiety to paralyze a person's life and to cripple their faith and to plunder their peace. Worry has been described as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts flow. In other words, worry creates a rut. Anxiety, worry, begins as a consideration, but then it grows into a preoccupation, and ultimately it becomes a desperation. Worry's like a cancer. It grows and spreads and metastasizes until it takes over. Suddenly, we no longer think straight. Worry has paralyzed our other initiatives. It stunted our growth. Hey, worry can cause us to shut down. One day, a man met death along the road. And death bragged that he was on his way to kill 10,000 people. Well, this man loved and cared for people. And so he immediately began warning everyone about death's diabolical plans. And yet, despite his best efforts, the death toll exceeded 10,000. In fact, nearly 70,000 people died in the plague. When the man caught up to death, he asked him why he had lied. You killed 70,000 people instead of the 10,000 that you promised. That's when death explained, I didn't lie. I only killed 10,000. It was worry and fear that killed the rest. Worry is lethal, both spiritually and physically. Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic gives a clinical summary of 
Worry's medical effects. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the nervous system. I've never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. The English word worry is from a German word, vergen. The term means to choke or to strangle. Worry strangles our faith. It chokes out our hope. This is how Jesus viewed worry. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18, in the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke of folks who, quote, hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. They even heard the word of God, but worry managed to choke out its effect in their hearts. Think of worry as a night stalker. He jimmies the latch and prowls into your mind. He's wearing two gloves with which he uses to strangle his victims. On the back of one glove is written the word, what? And on the back of the other glove is written the word, if. And it is the what ifs that become the criminal's deadly chokehold. What if we can't make the payment? What if the traffic is bad? What if the baby throws up? What if the weather doesn't cooperate? What if the computer shuts down? What if, what if, what if, and we find our lives strangled by what ifs? I want us to look very closely at how our text begins here in chapter 6, verse 25. Here Jesus commands us, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Realize the God who commands His people, do not commit adultery and do not murder, also commands us, do not worry. Realize these words of Jesus aren't just an ideal or a suggestion. They are a command. Worry isn't a problem or just a weakness or just a dysfunction. No, it is nothing less than a sin against God. Worry is a denial of God's faithfulness to keep His promises. Realize I'm not talking about appropriate planning or even looking ahead. You can prepare for tomorrow without becoming fixated on it. I'm talking about the wasting of time and energy brooding over things we can't control. You see, worry is a failure to trust God with life's uncertainties. It's been said worry is not forethought, it's fear thought. The sin of worry is nothing but futile fretting. And Jesus commands us, do not worry. Matthew 6 contains encouragement for people who worry. There is hope for the chronic worrier. Worry loses its stronghold when we understand its futility. Jesus highlights three characteristics of worry that sort of put it in its place. You need to know these. First, worry is irresponsible. Second, Jesus teaches us that worry is irrelevant. And third, that worry is irreverent. Let me say it again. Worry is irresponsible and irrelevant and irreverent. Let me show you how. First, worry is irresponsible. Worry is a waste of valuable time and effort. 
God gives us only 24 hours a day, 168 hours each week. Your life is but a vapor. It's like a puff of breath on a cold day. Blink and life is over. That's why it's totally irresponsible for us to waste a single second worrying and fretting over situations we can't control. Worry robs us of time and effort we could invest in what would make our lives better for us and for others. Understand, being a good worrier is a demanding occupation. It really is. It takes countless hours of practice. And it involves tremendous sacrifice on your part. While everyone else is out enjoying life, a faithful worrier is losing sleep and depleting his or her strength and dwelling on all of his problems. Worry's a tough job. I've heard it said, a day of worry is more exhausting than a week of work. And it's true. There was a woman who for years, she worried about a burglar breaking into her house while she and her husband were asleep. This was a terrible problem. Once the woman heard a bump in the night, she woke up her hubby, made him go down and check on the noise. When the man walked into the kitchen, believe it or not, he found a real burglar. The husband walked over and he shook the man's hand, gave him a warm welcome. He said, hey, it's good to see you. Hey, do you mind if I take you upstairs so you can meet my wife? She's been waiting on you for the last 10 years. The point being is that we can waste years irresponsibly waiting on something that may or may not even happen. Notice in verse 34, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, no one can possibly know what tomorrow will bring. Thus, babies and maybes need to be put to sleep. Tomorrow is God's responsibility, not mine. And it's irresponsible for me to worry about His business. God is fully capable of handling what belongs to Him. Yesterday is gone forever. Tomorrow may never come. Today is the only day we really have. Today is our gift from God. That's why we call it the present. Sounds like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? Corey Timboon once said, Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It's true. Worry robs us of joys we could know right now. It's been said worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. Oh, I'm sure you've heard about the worried cow. If not, I'm going to tell you about her. The worried cow would have lived until now if she had saved her breath but she feared her hay wouldn't last all day and she mooed herself to death. Some of us have been mooing ourselves to death. We've been worrying far too long about far too much. Don't you think we should put some of our worries into God's hands? Jesus makes a revolutionary statement here in verse 25. He says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And in that statement, he targets the source of most of our worries. Think it over. 90% of our worries are about food and fashion, about taste buds and taste in duds. Jesus is saying there's more to life than what we put in our mouth and what we wear on our back. A full belly and a hip image. Hey, if all that matters to you is feeling good and looking good, you're living a very shallow, superficial existence. 
Jesus tells us life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. As followers of Jesus, we're more than consumers. Life is more than just consumables. If you trust in Jesus, you're a child of God. You're an heir of His kingdom, a member of His body, an ambassador for Christ. An unlimited God with bountiful resources is your Father, and yet many of us live life orphans. We've been promised all spiritual riches in Christ Jesus, yet we worry about stuff that's passing away. We have an eternity before us. We get all worked up over issues that won't matter one iota, a hundred years from now, even ten years, hey, even one year from now. Worry will give a small thing a big shadow, and it will. In His Word, God promises to meet all a believer's needs the food you eat, and even the clothes that you wear. In verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. And I imagine one flying overhead just at that moment. He points to it. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And we are. Jesus has promised us riches for eternity. He'll keep us warm and fed right now. Don't worry. When we do, it's terribly irresponsible. Secondly, we shouldn't worry because it's irrelevant. Look at what Jesus says about it in verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? The cubit was an ancient measurement of about 18 inches. It was really the measurement from the king's elbow to the end of his fingers. Let's say you're short. You're vertically challenged. You've tired of going to parties and looking everybody in their kneecaps. You hug a tall guy and catch a belt buckle in the throat. And you've decided that the answer for you is to worry. Well, go ahead. Start worrying. Start worrying right now. Please, I want you to worry long, and I want you to worry hard. I want you to worry all afternoon. Strain yourself on this now. Worry, worry, worry. Then at the end of the day, I want you to measure your height and see how much your worrying has caused you to grow. The answer, of course, is zero. For worry is not only irresponsible, it's also irrelevant. It's just wasteful and ineffective. Imagine boarding an airplane you're excited about your long-awaited vacation. Everything is fine until you buckle your seatbelt, and then all of a sudden, all kinds of worries start flooding into your mind. When was the last time this plane was inspected? I didn't notice if anybody had a fever, but I wonder if anybody's got Ebola on this plane. Or did the landing brakes really work? Or does the pilot have a valid license? Or, or did he have his morning coffee? I mean, your mind is flooded with what-ifs. And yet by this time, you're up in the air. It's too late anyway. There's nothing you can do about it now, so why worry? Mickey Rivers, a former outfielder for the Texas Rangers, once uttered a profound statement. I like his quote. Ain't no sense worrying about things you got control over, because if you got control over them, ain't no sense worrying. And there ain't no sense worrying about things you got no control over either, because if you got no control over them, ain't no sense worrying. What a great philosophy. None of us has life under control. And just about the time you think you do, 
Life has ways of jumping up and surprising you. But God is sovereign. He has definite control over every situation. So why do we worry? A study reported 40% of our worries are about things that never happened. 30% are about issues in the past, circumstances we can't change. 12% are about what other folks think of us, what, things that really don't matter anyway. 10% are about health issues, which we can't always control. Only 8% of the things we worry about are over issues we can actually do something about. As a French philosopher once said, my life has been full of misfortunes, most of which never happened. Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't really get you anywhere, will it? Worry is not only irresponsible, it's also irrelevant. It accomplishes nothing. And then third, and most importantly, worry is irreverent. You see, just as a parent is obligated to meet the basic needs of his children, God also has promised to meet the needs of his kids. God is a father who provides for his children. Thus, when his children don't believe him, it's an insult against God. Jesus not only pointed to a flock of birds sailing overhead, but he drew the disciples' attention to a meadow full of gorgeous flowers. He may have even reached down in the grass and picked one and then held it up as he spoke. He said these words in verse 28, Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Those birds are just birds. They sing and they flap and they fly and they die. And they turn to dust. Flowers, they're just flowers. You clip them with the grass. You charge some sucker $40 a dozen. His wife enjoys them for a few days, then they're thrown out. And yet God caters the birds three square meals a day, and He decks out the lilies in designer petals. God provides for the birds and the blossoms. But you, if you follow Jesus, you're His child. You're His image bearer. You were created in the likeness of His Son, Jesus. How much more will He provide for you? In comparison, you're of infinitely greater value than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Why then don't we believe that God will provide for us our needs? That He'll feed us and clothe us and provide us a home and obtain for us a job and help us pay our bills, or get the needed promotion, or find a dependable car. Why don't we trust God more? At the time of Jesus, sparrows sold for pennies. They were virtually worthless on the market. And yet in Matthew chapter 10, we're told that God's air traffic control charts the flight path of every single sparrow. He knows when just one sparrow falls to the ground. Thus Jesus draws this conclusion. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
I mean, if God shows so much care for something that's seemingly so insignificant, just a little bird, how much more does he care for you and me? The Bible teaches us that God even numbers the hairs on our head. In Matthew 10, verse 30, Jesus tells us, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Did you know that on average, a redhead has about 90,000 hairs? A brunette has about 125,000 hairs, and a blonde has 140,000 hairs, even more. And incredibly, our God in heaven bothers to keep tabs on every single hair on your head. Did you know that? And the really amazing fact is that the exact number of hairs on your head fluctuates from day to day. Run a comb through your hair and the number alters. And yet God keeps a running count. God has your exact hair tally at all times. And with some of the men in this church, we're losing our hair so fast, God has been working overtime to stay current. Imagine the ciphering in heaven when you go out for a haircut. Here's the point Jesus is making. God is attentive to every detail of our lives. David sings the beautiful praise in Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, are your thoughts toward us. They are more than can be numbered. This is why worry reveals a lack of faith. It doubts God's love for us and His power and His integrity and the faithfulness to His promises. Worry is an insult to God. It is the antithesis of faith. This is why the great church leader John Wesley once said, I could no more worry than I could curse or swear. Worry is a sin with dangerous consequences. Notice what Jesus tells us in verses 31 and 32. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You see, in other words, worry is a pagan preoccupation. It's something that the unbelievers do. The Gentiles, the folks that are estranged from God and His promises, they should be the worriers. The pagans are the ones that deny God's Word, that He can meet their needs. Thus they fret and fear about what they eat and drink and wear. I like this poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, there is one thing I would really like to know, why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Oh, we act like unbelievers when we worry and fret and take matters into our own hands. We become practical atheists. Oh, we say we trust God, but we become practical atheists instead of really living out our faith. I like this quote, worry is praying to the wrong God, and indeed it is. That's why whenever we're tempted to worry, that means it's time to pray. Rather than rubbing your brow or wringing your hands, how about dropping to your knees? Paul wrote in Philippians 4 verse 6, here's the New Living Translation, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. When you feel like the night stalker is closing in with his what-ifs, that's when you need to turn your cares into prayers. 
In verse 33, Jesus sums up our passage with an antidote for worry. Here is the cure for chronic worriers. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now notice the contrast here between verses 32 and 33. On the one hand, we're told in verse 32 that the unbelievers, they seek after all these things. Whereas in verse 33, believers in Jesus, they seek after just one thing. Unbelievers, people without any hope in God, they busy themselves worrying about a bunch of stuff while Christians focus on a single priority, God's kingdom and His righteousness. Lloyd Ogilvie, he offers an interesting interpretation of verse 33. He writes, Jesus says the cure for anxiety is anxiety. Care about many things is cured by the care of one thing. In other words, you overcome wrong worry with right worry. To be free from earthly worries, you need to worry about surrendering your life to the king of the universe and doing those things that are right in his eyes. In short, if you're going to worry about something, why not worry about the millions of people that are going to die and go to hell tonight because they don't know Jesus as their Savior? Or why not worry about the believers around the world that are languishing in prison for their faith? Or the poor folks who rarely get a meal? Or the Christians in India who are persecuted by radical Hindus? Or the Christians suffering in Muslim prisons? Or the millions of babies aborted each year? Why not worry about some of these things? And while you're worrying, why not worry about the fatherless child down the street who has no one in his life to help him become a godly man? Why not worry about the single mom who's trying to make ends meet? Why not worry about the kid in your own home who needs more from his parents? Why not worry about the friend who's lost and lonely and only a phone call away? Why not worry about how you can get involved in your church and help make Calvary Chapel the kind of church that God wants it to be? Hey, seek God's kingdom. Get concerned with what concerns God. Start, try this, start worrying about the weaknesses in your own life, the sinful strongholds that drag you down, about the habitual sin that needs to be cut off and cast away. Worry about the grudge that you've been holding on to, even though the Holy Spirit has told you more than once to let it go and forgive that person that's done you harm. Why not worry about the pride in your heart that's keeping you from apologizing to your spouse? Or to a co-worker. Hey, if you want something to worry about, why not worry about your own insufficient knowledge of the Scriptures? Or your sluggish prayer life? Or your lack of compassion for people in need? Or your lukewarm witness at work? These are all issues worth worrying about. But not food and clothes. Stop worrying about that. Jesus has got that taken care of. And stop worrying about whether the Bulldogs are going to win the rest of their games and contend for a national title. I'm telling you, that's going to happen anyway. Worry about what you need to worry about. God's kingdom and His righteousness. Recall the day when Jesus went to eat dinner at Mary and Martha's house. Now, it's not every day of the year. It's not every day, period, when the creator of the universe comes to your house, who's the dinner guest. And so Martha was worried. 
She wanted everything to be just right. Jesus is coming for dinner. She was so busy in the kitchen when she noticed that her sister Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet, just enjoying his presence. Martha was loafing. She thought Mary was loafing. Martha figured Jesus would set her sis straight. Instead, Jesus turned to Martha and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Martha, you're acting like the Gentiles. You're acting like the pagans. But one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha worried, for she cared about many things. But Mary cared about one thing. And that was pleasing Jesus. If you're strangled by worry this morning, recall the cure for wrong worry is right worry. Worry about God's kingdom and His righteousness. Worry about what's right and what's eternal and what's spiritual. And you won't have time to focus on other issues that don't really matter anyway. It's time that we all put out an arrest warrant on worry. It's time to lock up the night stalker. In light of God's promises to us and His love for us, worry is irresponsible and it's irrelevant and it's irreverent. When you set your heart on God's stuff, you'll begin to trust Him with your stuff.